You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, good morning to all of you. You obviously came to worship, and that is a good thing. I look forward to this time with you all week, truly. I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor, and this is... My name is David Piper, and I'm a pastor here as well. You're our pastor of evangelism. I am. Yes, you you, are. Do you know Jesus, Jay? I... (laughs) It's why they hired me. They just wanted to make sure. They just wanted to make sure. I'm speechless. Wow. Well, we used to have a pastor of evangelism, but no, I just... Mic drop. Okay. We need to pull forward here. We really are glad that you're with us. So if I'm a guest and I'm new to the Grace family, yes. maybe this is my first Sunday or if I've been coming for a while. this is your first Sunday, what do go I do? ahead and fill out one of those connection cards because we would love to connect with you and welcome. And because I'm new in here, I would also love if you are, if you've been here a long time, if you have Touchpoint, go ahead and upload a picture of yourself on there so I can call you by the correct name and not, hey, you or hey guy, or hey whatever. So uh, go ahead and upload that picture. And Touchpoint is our Grace app, and you may not know it, but we actually have an app that you can download that gives you access to our database, um, gives you access to registering for things here, what have you, and in there we encourage you. Help me help you. Yeah, Yeah. help help me help you. Please upload the most recent photo of yourself, because we would love to be able to get names and faces more connected, right? Yes, I would love to, yeah, call you by your correct name. That's yeah. always a good thing. So, Thanks. Sam, um, in terms of, just kidding, this is David Piper. Piper, in terms of um, engaging with the community and where we want to go, would you tell us about something that's coming? Yeah. So, should I talk about Hogan Cedars? Is that what that is? Or should I talk about the first? 21 the, days. 21 days. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, if you all have your Bibles, would you open them to Matthew chapter 11? We're going to be in verse 28. Is it? I hope it's okay to read the Bible this morning. I know it's probably... We do do that in church, so we're for that. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And I'm reading from the ESV, and then I'm going to read the paraphrased version from Eugene Peterson out of the message. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. I share this because in 2017, I, I was a pastor but I was doing so many Christmas-related things that I actually forgot about Christmas Day. I don't want to make any of you raise your hands if that's ever happened to you, but you had so many things going on that you actually forgot about the reason for that season. 
and I was in that boat. And so I actually want to invite us all into rest by giving up some sleep. Now, it sounds a little counterintuitive, so I'm going to invite you to 6 a.m. prayer here at Grace Community Church starting January 16th for 21 days. Why 21 days? Because that's how, how long it takes to form a new habit. And why 6 a.m.? Well, gosh, I don't know. But uh, no, at 6 a.m., it's before we do anything. Let it be our first, our first moments with the Lord. And so I want to invite us all to prayer, to pray for uh, the people of the city, the folks who, who lead us, like the, the mayor, chief of police. We're going to pray for these folks. We're going to read scripture together. We're going to get after the Lord and just ask him to activate our hearts for Gresham and for the people that are here. So come and join us. I know it's going to be a little bit of a, of a challenge but give up some sleep to gain some rest and let's orient ourselves to the Lord and what he's doing in 2023. And we really want to see this city have the hope that we have and the hope that we celebrate when we gather every Sunday morning. So we really want to deepen our heart for this city and to see God move and continue to move. Amen. 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 Well, we're about reaching the community, but we're also about growing together in community. And with it being the start of a new year, something we just want to put out in front of you again is our small groups are starting up again. We call these communities at Grace. We have some new leaders who have stepped forward. We literally have room for everyone who wants to be a part of a small group who isn't currently in a small group. So we ask that you would consider doing that, that if you can make time and margin to be in a small group community, it, 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 will, it will deepen your relationships, obviously. It'll deepen your relationship with the Lord because we discover and grow in the Lord together. And right now, as communities, we're studying the Sabbath these next couple months and what that means. Our group started that this last week, and it was tremendous. So the way you can access this is after the service, you go out in the lobby. We have a kiosk there. You can register there. You can also register through our website or through the Grace app. But we would love to see you enter into this, this kind of community. So that being said, we are also inviting you into another opportunity here, and it's called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. This is coming up Thursday, February 16th. It's an eight-week um, experience. I hate to call it a class because it's so much more than that. I personally have gone through this curriculum, this material. We as a leadership, actually, as a pastoral ministry staff, are going through Emotionally Healthy Leadership, which builds on many of the same principles here in this. This is a game changer. And again, it can be a life changer for your relationship. So again, we would encourage you to consider being a part of this as well. And then we have an outreach ministry here yeah. that we've had for many years. It's really exciting. Yeah. Fills backpacks yeah. for elementary school kids at East Gresham Elementary yeah. so they can have food on the weekends for the kids who, who find themselves in that place. And this is pretty amazing. We're yeah. actually, we're expanding this ministry. Uh, th thank you, church, for what you have given. Um, and we're actually expanding the backpack blessings uh, to Hogan Cedars as well. And so 25 additional backpacks will go out. Is that each week or each month? Each week. Each, that's yeah. incredible. So thank you all for giving. And so we're going to up the, the giving this year. And as, Paul, as Jay says, we unapologetically ask for more resources because we want to do more things. And so thank you all for giving. And we're going to be giving more this year. It's super exciting. Absolutely. And this has been a part of our vision and really our strategic planning for many years. And now to have the opportunity to expand this to Hogan Cedars is, is answered prayer. We're very, very excited about it. And it's your generosity, your faithfulness to giving to the mission and vision that enables us to do everything we do. Thank you so much, Piper. And Thank see you. See you at 6 a.m. I hope I still have a yeah. job, but okay. Yeah. I'll see you all at 6 a.m. <laughs> Bring me a coffee and, you know, we'll, we'll work it out. But let's pray together. 
Lord, thank you for the fact that you are real, you are near, and you are here through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you've been revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the incredible time of worship we've already experienced together. And now we ask that as we open your word, you would make it come alive to us. Thank you that your word is relevant, it's practical, it's real, it's transformative, it's what we need to hear. So help us to have ears to hear it, eyes to see your work, and hearts willing to respond to you this morning. And Lord, thank you for this faithful, generous church family. The resources we have are a reflection of your generosity towards us. And thank you that so many here get that and live that. We pray that you will increase our resources so we can give more to this community, introduce more people to you, and make more disciples for you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we return to our John series, which I'm very excited about. I love the gospel of John. And this, as we prepare to dive into this passage, is a very meaningful passage to me. And in part, um, it's meaningful because this is a two-year two anniversary today. But let's go further back in time, and then I'll close the loop with that. So many of you know Jamie's and my story. We are high school, college sweethearts. We started dating as juniors in, in high school dated in our high school years and then chose for some reason to go to different colleges in our college years. So I had a long distance relationship for many years and it was in this season and I'm really leaving a lot of details out just for the sake of time. But it was in this season that Jamie's mom began to get very sick and she was diagnosed with stage four uterine cancer. And so she went into surgery. They removed uh, you know, her uterus and a golf ball sized tumor if I'm remembering that right, but as they opened her up and began to do all this work, there there was there were tumors everywhere. It was spread far further than they thought, and was far worse than they thought. And so they they did what they could, but they sewed her back up, and then told Jamie's family that she's never going to leave the hospital, and she probably has a few weeks. And it was just devastating news. And so the family prayed, the church prayed. And some days later, they chose to run another scan. Still makes me emotional, you know, decades later. They chose to run another scan, and all the tumors were benign. Every single tumor that was in her body that had been malignant was benign. And her oncologist, who was a Jesus follower, who actually went to our church, um, had been practicing oncology for over 40 years, said... In all my years of oncology, I have never seen anything like this. This is a class A bona fide God miracle. This is a miracle of God. Yeah, absolutely. And we celebrate those kind of stories. And so from being told she would live a few weeks, Jamie's mom went on to live for 30 years. And she was a part of this church family for a number of years. Two years ago was when she went home to be with the Lord. So two years ago today was when um, she passed away and went to be with him. So in putting our cards on the table here this morning, you just, you have to know that when it comes to the healing power of Jesus Christ, I am very biased. I absolutely am sold out and believe in that because I've lived it. As I was preparing for this sermon, Jamie and I, as we were talking through things, realized we have over a half dozen healing miracles in our family. Her mom is just one of them. 
So you got to know, and I'm just being honest with you, this is very personal to me. I am absolutely sold out on the reality and the, the truth that God can and does heal. But not all of you are. And I understand that. Some of you believe that, but in your heart of hearts, not really. Because you're up against something or someone you love is up against something or someone you know is up against something and healing hasn't taken place. Or maybe you've just been disappointed enough that you're honestly a little jaded and you're not quite sure you're fully buying into that. Or maybe you've just never seen it happen or been close enough to experience that, that kind of a miracle. I just, I want to tell you right out of the gate, this passage is for you. Wherever you fall in the continuum of I'm not buying it to I absolutely believe this and I'm sold out on it, I think this passage has something for each one of us here this morning. For many of you, it'll be a very familiar story. It's the healing of the paralytic at the, at the pool. But with that being said, we're going to open this, this amazing story together. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to enter the story together. And my hope is that God will speak powerfully to you the way he is, he's spoken to me as I've prepared for our time here together. So here it is, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids that you carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So let's begin to work through this story. We're told that Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for a festival. We're really not definitively sure which. There were three pilgrimage festivals that observant Jews would go to Jerusalem for. And um, Passover was one, Tabernacles was one, and Pentecost was one. Not sure which one it was, but what we do know is that there is a pool called Bethsaida. And that pool has actually been unearthed in, um, the, in the old part of Jerusalem today. It's about the size of a football field. And when it says there were a number of disabled people there, probably hundreds, quite honestly. There was a lot of people gathered at this, this pool. 
And one of those there was an invalid who had been that way for 38 years. You ever struggled with something for 38 years? Had a disability for 38 years? I mean, that's, that's a lot of suffering and, and a lot of heartache and a lot of difficulty. And, and there's so many things that we don't know about this story and even about this. We don't know the guy's name. We don't know how long those 38 years he had been at the pool. We have a pretty good idea as to why he and so many others were gathered around this pool because there was this belief that an angel every so often would come down and stir the waters of this pool and the first one in was the one who got healed. And ironically, it was survival of the fittest. Only the strongest of these folks who were gathered around this pool and the quickest were the first ones in the water. Now we can necessarily ask ourselves, really? I mean, was there really an angel that stirred the waters? Or was there a natural spring that fed it that caused the waters to, to move? You know, we don't know. And parking those kind of details, we don't really need to know. What we do know is that this was a man of faith. Because he was at this pool. He believed that there were healing properties in this pool. He was a man of faith. And I would submit to you that whether you think yourself spiritual or not, and probably all of you do, because obviously you're here, but even for someone who doesn't think they're spiritual, they are a person of faith. The reality is your faith, my faith, is in something or someone. Even the person who says, I'm an atheist, there is no God, okay, there is a faith statement being made with that. That faith then is located somewhere. And so the real question for you and me isn't whether you have faith. You do. Even if you don't recognize it, you do and I do. We have faith. The real question is, where is your faith? And where is my faith? These images familiar to you? Last Monday... On Monday night football, two teams were playing one another. I made the mistake of saying it was the Giants and the Bengals. I'm sure Bills fans will never talk to me ever again. I mean, the picture's right there. It's the Bills. The Bills and the Bengals playing one another in a Monday night football game. Damar Hamlin goes to make a tackle. Seemingly a pretty routine tackle. Makes the tackle on the receiver. Gets up, takes one step back, collapses. Personnel rush onto the field. It turns out... He's had a cardiac event and he's had a heart attack and his heart has stopped. And they revive him on the field and people are stunned and in shock and so they cancel the game, which is unheard of for the NFL, and people begin to gather for prayer and it was astounding. Here's a picture of almost the entire Bills team kneeling for prayer. Players all over the field kneeling together in prayer. Bengals and Bills fans gathering outside the stadium after the game was postponed and staying for hours praying together. This is a picture of a, a, a group of the several hundred who throughout this last week, Bengals and Bills fans who have been gathering at the hospital, outside the hospital to pray together. The day after, the, the, the day after this happens on Tuesday last week, I turn on sports radio. I'm headed from one appointment to the other and they never talk about spiritual things, especially this sports broadcast. I don't listen to it for spiritual input. <laughs> and here they are talking about prayer. 
And they're not talking about prayer in a jaded, cynical way like so often it gets talked about in our culture or in our media. They're generally talking about the power of prayer. And as I'm seeing these images, as I'm hearing this conversation on sports radio, I begin to ask myself, hmm, so why are they praying? And, you know, on first glance we go, well, duh, Jay. They want him to recover. They want him to be better. Okay, but if they're praying, that presupposes that someone's listening. And that somehow that's going to make a difference. Far more compellingly and significantly than good vibes, good feelings, which you hear people say all the time. Yeah, I'm sending good vibes, good feelings. No, they weren't talking about vibes and feelings. And this isn't about vibes and feelings. This is about prayer. So it begs the question, who are they praying to? And what are they expecting to happen and why? Which then brings us to this. Dan Orlovsky, who is a believer, former NFL player, a host with ESPN, on Tuesday, he was overcome with emotion, and I'm really glad he was, and he said, he called an audible to use our football vernacular, and in the middle of a live TV telecast, he prayed. And this is what he prayed. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand that are hard because we believe that you are God and coming to you and praying to you has impact. We're sad. We're angry. And we want answers. But some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray Truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar. Be with his family to give them peace. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. Is that cool or what? I think that's pretty amazing. And the conversation continues. Social media has erupted over this. And, you know, not long ago, someone was pointing out to me, we're hearing about lawsuits with, you know, high school coaches who kneeled to pray before football games with their teams, and that was wrong, and no one does that. And all of a sudden, now we're talking about everybody praying. I think it's pretty remarkable and pretty amazing. And I, man, I embrace it and, and welcome it. But it does underscore the reality of the necessity of understanding who our faith is in. Jesus must be the foundation of our faith. That is what John continues to assert throughout this gospel. That's what Jesus himself over and over again says. I want, I need to be, I must be the, the foundation of your faith. Why? Because he's the source of life and healing. And because of what follows in this passage, I hope in a short time together to persuade you as to why this is real, why this is true, and why it is necessary. And some of that's going to come right from this story here. It says, when Jesus saw him lying here and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? So Jesus is walking by. Here's this invalid with all these other folks gathered around this pool hoping for healing. And the invalid says, hey, Jesus, can you come heal me? That's what happened, right? No. No. Sometimes we read this stuff and the significance can kind of pass us by. At least sometimes it happens with me. This guy didn't ask Jesus to heal him. Jesus initiated with him. And this is a pattern that we see all throughout the Bible, Old Testament to New. 
is that the God of the universe is a God who is the one true God who pursues us. And I know I say this often because it's true and because it keeps coming up again in these sermons. I would be remiss not to point it out and say it once again. Christianity, the Bible, is the only worldview that teaches that God pursues you. You don't pursue God. God comes looking for you. You don't go looking for God. If you're looking for God, it's because you're responding to the reality that he's already come looking for you. No other religion, no other worldview teaches that. That is a distinctive of Christianity, and we see it here once again. Who initiated this conversation? Who initiated the healing? Jesus did. The guy didn't even have to ask for it. I think that's pretty amazing. But this is a weird question that follows it. Look at this. Do you want to get well? If I'm in the hospital and you come to visit me and I'm recovering for something, please do not ask me if I want to get well. <laughs> I'm going to look at you and go, seriously? I mean, bring me some chocolate or something, sneak me in something, but don't ask me if I want to get well. I'm in the hospital. Of course I want to get well. Of course this man writes, wants to get well, right? He is by this pool. And the way the text is written, it infers he's been there a long time and he's been there often, if not every day. So why would Jesus ask him if he wants to get well? Well, does he? I mean, again, we don't know definitively What's going on here? But we can make some guesses. I mean, could it be he asks this man this because maybe he secretly has given up? I mean, sure, he's by the pool, but how many times has he tried to get into the water and it hasn't worked? Or he's gotten in the water and it hasn't worked? Could he be so beaten down, so discouraged, he's just given up? Or he's just settled that, you know what? This is just the way things are. I'm never gonna get better. I will be an invalid my entire life. This, this is my life. This is the way it's going to be. Or could it be this has become such a part of his identity, being a victim of this disability he did not ask for, that he can't really discard it. And I don't buy that myself personally, but that is the list of options as to what could be behind this. But if that wasn't a strange question, this is a very strange answer. Wouldn't it be reasonable, logical, practical, pragmatic for Jesus to ask him, do you want to get well? And for him to say, yes, yes, please. But he doesn't do that. This is what he says. I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And again, is he playing the victim here? Is he discouraged? Has he given up? Is he just trying to explain where his faith has been? I mean, there, again, we don't know. But what we do know is that he's been disabled for the better part of his life. And so what happens? Eight words. Eight words. And his life is transformed. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once again, who took the initiative with this? Jesus did. Did he ask Jesus to heal him? No. 
Do you know how cool that is? Do I realize how significant that is? Sometimes God will heal you and you don't even need to ask. How cool is that? That's exactly what's happening here. And it's, it's remarkable. And just very quickly, I want to speak to something that you'll hear sometimes. It's a teaching that's out there. And unfortunately, it's just not true. Well, actually, fortunately, it's not true. But it does a lot of damage. And it inflicts unnecessary hurt. And this is it. What you will hear often is it will be told or said to you, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. And then when God doesn't heal you, it's a you problem. Well, you didn't have enough faith. And that's, that's not true. I mean, by way of example, if we fast forward to John chapter 9, there'll be another guy who needs healing. He's blind. And once again, Jesus takes the initiative. He doesn't ask for healing. Jesus heals him anyway. But as they're walking up to him, the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, what is the you problem here? And I'm, you know, paraphrasing. But did his parents sin or did he sin? Why is he blind? It's got to be one of the two. And Jesus says, neither. It's so the work of God can be demonstrated in his life. And then he, and then he heals him. In both cases, neither man asked to be healed. And yet Jesus heals them. How much faith do you need to be healed? Well, in this case, enough faith to stand up. I think enough faith to respond. When Jesus comes to you, you respond. How much faith does it take to get healed? A faith that's willing to respond. And it's such a powerful story. It's so encouraging. It's so amazing. And I wish the story ended here and it doesn't. Because I would just like to end it here. Because of what happens next. It says that this took place on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders confront this man about carrying his mat. Now, there's so much here, and we're just going to have to get in and out on it for the sake of time. The Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments that was given to God's people, intended to be a day of rest. A rhythm in the lives of God's people for rest, reflection, delight, satisfaction. But unfortunately, over time, it had become burdened with rules and regulations and requirements. I'm sure it was well-intentioned, but at some point in Israel's history, the Jewish leaders decided to really define what it meant to work and not work. And I think the heart behind that was to truly honor the commandment. But unfortunately, what it became was a whole series of rules that sometimes didn't make sense that the religious leaders themselves took advantage of and there were loopholes in and inconsistencies. But there were 39 additional rules from the oral law that were added to the commandment to, to, to rest. And so... One of those, actually several of those, in fairness, talked about how much weight you could carry. And so according to the oral law, not the Old Testament, but the oral law, this man was violating that commandment. And it's just hard to get our heads around. But this is what was happening. And by the way, this idea of Sabbath, this invitation to make this a spiritual practice, it's no longer a commandment, but it is an invitation for us to rest. And what does that look like? And that's what we're going through in our communities here at Grace is, is wrestling with this, with this together because the Sabbath wasn't made for man. Man was made for the Sabbath. Did I just get that right or did I invert that? Help me, Gary. Did I say that right? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I usually get that inverted and say it wrong. 
For once I got it right. Thank you, Gary. And in your presence, don't forget that. So how did the wheels come off of this? Well, they ask him and confront him. You know, why are you carrying your mat? And this is amusing to me. He, he kind of blames Jesus. Uh, he doesn't say, hey, I'm healed. Look, I'm walking. You guys know who I am. And they did. They would have known who he was. I'm, uh, look, I'm walking. I'm healed. No, he says, yeah, the, the guy who healed me told me to carry my mat. It's his fault. It kind of has that vibe here. We don't know that for sure, but it has that flavor. And so they want to know who he was. Now, again, this is such a disconnect here. Imagine... Someone in our community who we all know is disabled and they're miraculously healed and they're so excited they run to grace and it happens to be a Sunday morning and they run in about now, you know, they're like half an hour late and they come in and the first thing we say is you're late for church. <laughs> or we say as they sit down, you're sitting in my chair, that's where I sit. And again, you know, not naming names and I'm not looking at anyone here, I'll look up. Some of you are relaxed in coming to church. You're late, to put it in another translation. And some of you have your preferred spots to sit, but they're not assigned seats. And I'm sure you would give them up if someone else sat in front of you, right? We see this and we go, how does, that's ridiculous, that's ludicrous. But legalism is blinding and that's what's going on here. Shouldn't the Jewish leaders be excited that God has done a miracle? Shouldn't they be inquisitive and wanting to know who is this guy who God just healed through? Instead, they want to know who the rule breaker is. Right? Who told you to do this? They're looking to place blame. And the man didn't know that it was Jesus because in fairness, Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. But then Jesus finds him. And again, there's so much we don't know. Why did he find him at the temple? And could it be that this man was, you know, trying to follow through with healing and declaring this? And there were some things that the law stipulated you had to do to, to pronounce this in, in front of others so that it could be celebrated. And, but we don't know if he was in the process of doing that or not. But what we do know is Jesus seeks him out a second time. He didn't go to Jesus Jesus came looking once again for him. And what does he say to him? See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So two pieces to this. See, you are well again. Remember. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what I just did for you. you you've been healed. And this really is an underscorement of God's grace. But then he says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Well, now he's speaking truth. And again, we don't know all that was going on here, but what we do know was that this man was still crippled. Not physically, but spiritually. His heart was wrong. And so Jesus sought him out again. Because when Jesus heals us, he heals the whole person. And so this man is still sick. He's still disabled. He is spiritually crippled. And so Jesus comes back to him again. Let's quickly do some business with grace and truth. So what is grace? Well, a super simplified definition is getting something that you don't deserve. But since Gary's here, we'll give the fuller definition. 
so I don't get in trouble. God's unmerited love freely given for the sake of right relationship with him and right right relationship with others and empowerment to serve him and to serve others. That's grace. Is there anyone here, and please don't raise your hands, this is rhetorical, but is there anyone here who is against grace? I think that's a bad idea. I don't want grace. Duh, no. We all want grace. I want grace. I want to get things I don't deserve, good things. Absolutely, especially from God. God, I deserve your grace, but you don't. At least some of you. Because if I don't like you, I don't agree with you, you've wronged me, you've hurt me, you've betrayed me. The last thing you deserve is God's grace. Yeah, that's the point. That's why it's called grace. When is the last time you have extended grace to someone who didn't deserve it? If Jesus is the foundation of your faith, then you have received his grace into your life. Therefore, you can give it away to someone else. But they don't deserve it. Yes, and neither do me or you. That's why you can give it away. Okay, well, how about truth? What is truth? Well, Webster says, being in accord with fact or reality. Okay. Anyone here not for truth? Well, yeah, I'm for truth. Absolutely. Who wouldn't be? Well, as long as I agree with it. As long as it suits my purposes. As long as it meets my needs, then I'm fall for truth. But what happens when truth is unpleasant? is unwelcomed, is threatening, or I just simply don't like it. Could it be that there is truth, capital T, that is true for all people, in all contexts, in all cultures, at all times? And the answer unequivocally is yeah. God's truth. Biblical truth. Well, that's your truth. I have my truth. This is my truth. Yeah, truth doesn't work that way. Good luck with that. Because that's not how it works. Truth is truth. Whether I like it, whether you like it. And so I'm happy to align myself with truth. Most of the time. Again, when it doesn't suit my purposes or I don't like it or I don't want to hear it, then that's another thing. And you can see where this is going. When is the last time you received the truth from someone that you needed to hear, but you didn't want to hear. And what about those of us who fire the truth tellers in our life? Where does that leave us? Simply because we don't like to hear what we at times need to hear from one another. And what's so amazing about these realities of grace and truth is in our minds, and sometimes in my mind, quite honestly, they're two separate things. But in the Bible, they are virtually synonymous. When you're talking about grace and truth, you're talking about the same thing. In essence, because they're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. And so Jesus comes to this man and he gives him grace and truth. And how does he respond? And again, this is, this is really, really mystifying to me and there's a lot we don't know here. But look how this story ends. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now that seems a little off to me too, and it could just be me, but 
What do we know from this story? The Jewish leaders were angry with Jesus. They were looking to confront Jesus. And we know they did confront Jesus. Wait till Sean's sermon next week in the passage that follows this one. And could it be that they knew who Jesus was in part because this guy told them? And I'm, I'm not sure what to do with this. And quite frankly, it's kind of an unsatisfactory ending to the story. Because where did things end up with this guy? He was physically healed, but did he allow Jesus to spiritually heal him? Did he respond to the grace and truth that Jesus gave him? Even after he went and told the Jewish leaders whether that was right or wrong. How does the story end? And we don't know. But this is what we can know. And I hope you do know this morning. How will your story end? How, how, will, how will mine? Because in the Gospel of John... He constantly refers to these signs. In fact, there was a sign that preceded this one. He healed an official's son. The official came to him after a long 25-mile arduous, dangerous journey. And Jesus said, okay, I, I will heal your child. And at a word, he's healed. The man makes the journey back to his child and the child is, is healed and it says he believes. You see, these signs that John calls attention to, these healings, these miracles, they always point to a greater spiritual reality. And it's this. I don't have physical cancer, but apart from Jesus, I have spiritual cancer. It's called sin. And we all start out in the same place. It permeates our thoughts, our motives, our attitudes. We have this bent, this propensity to be bent inward and to make life all about us, to be selfish and self-focused and self-absorbed. And it comes out in so many different ways. And the solution isn't a Band-Aid and it isn't trying harder and it isn't striving to be a good person and it's not turning to religions or creeds or codes or rituals. We need an absolute heart transplant and that only happens through receiving Jesus Christ into our lives as our Lord and Savior by making him the foundation of our faith. Because the reality is Jesus offers us this healing in this life right now. This is yours and mine to have now. We can receive him into our lives as our Lord and Savior. And for those of us who have, we need to remember that he is a God who still heals. You see, where we go off the rails, where I go off the rails and get myself in trouble is I create timelines or terms or timing or expectation on God that he hasn't promised me. He doesn't always heal. Sometimes it's a partial healing. Sometimes it's a healing that never comes. And sometimes the greatest miracle isn't in the healing it's in the ability to persevere and trust and live one day at a time in the moment, in the present, seeking God with whatever we wish we were healed from. Sometimes that's the greater miracle. So as our worship team comes, I'm gonna invite our elders and ministry pastoral staff who are here um, 
to get up and make themselves available on the sides. I know we're calling an audible to keep our football vernacular going here this morning, but um, staff, elders, if you're here and available, would you please go off to the sides? As I told you when we started our time in God's word, I unapologetically, uncompromisingly believe in the power of God to heal because I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my family. I've seen it happen in my life. And so we want to give you the opportunity to have healing prayer this morning. Could be physical, could be emotional, could be mental, could be relational. God does healing in all those ways and in all those areas. And our staff, our, our prayer team are available for you to do that. And I want to give you blessing, give you permission to take advantage of this. Because some of us sometimes get caught in our own head and our own heart and we think, well, gosh, what would people think if I went and, and prayed with someone here? What if I actually stood up and went and prayed with one of these folks? You know what they would think? You're just like me. And you're just like us. We all need prayer. I have things in my life that I need God's power and his healing power for. This is a safe place to do business with that. And so as our worship team leads us in worship, and Sarah will introduce that here in just a minute, our, our, our folks are, are going to be available here. Would you guys spread out and quit hanging out together? Move down a little bit. They know I love them. But would you please come to us? We would love to pray with you and for you with whatever it is you need God's prayer healing power and prayer with this morning. And if you would like to make Jesus the foundation of your faith, please come talk to one of us. We'd love to pray with you to do that as well. Amen. I hope you believe what you just sang because it's true. He is the God of miracles. Some of you know this, maybe some of you don't, but when the elders gather together, every time we meet, we meet at least a couple times each month, we have a time of prayer with whoever wants it. And almost every time we meet, there's someone who will come in for some type of healing prayer. We want you to know that that's, that's available to you. We love to pray with you and to pray for you. And I know that a number of you took advantage of that here this morning, and that is, that is wonderful. This is a safe and necessary place to do that. It's okay to be in process, and we need each other. And God gives us each other to encourage and pray for and be with one another and to be a community. And one of the many verses that I love that is such great perspective and reality for all of us is this one. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. And this is talking about Jesus. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We live in a broken world that desperately needs hope and grace and mercy. And for those of us who have made Jesus our foundation, who have invited him into our lives, we are recipients, recipients of his grace and his mercy. And so now we go out those doors to live that out 
And I want to pray his blessing over you and me as we prepare to do so. Lord, as we go out of this place, thank you for such a sweet time of worship. Thank you that you're here. Thank you for the movement of your spirit in our hearts and lives and in our midst. But Lord, thank you that you go with us, that your spirit moves in and through us outside these walls as well. And so we ask, I ask, that you would give us opportunity to extend grace to someone who doesn't deserve it, to speak truth into someone's life who maybe doesn't want to hear it, but to show love and grace and mercy to others as we go throughout our week because you have first loved us. Thank you that you are the God who pursues us. Thank you that you are the God who is near and is with us. Thank you that you are the God who will never leave or forsake us. We anchor ourselves to these truths in Jesus' name, amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.